Amen. Well, I am very excited to be with you all this morning. Um, as Brad said, my name is Carrie Gleason, and I work with students at Christ Presbyterian Church in Edina. We were very sad to see Brad and Stacy leave because our community loved them so much, but I am really glad that they get to be with you and you get to experience Brad's teaching and Stacy's gifts of love and hospitality, and they just both have such amazing personalities and gifts that God has blessed them with, and so it's great to be with you um, here today. Um, so like Brad said, I work with students, and I love students, and I never really thought that I would be in youth ministry. I went to school at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, coming from, I graduated from Hopkins High School up in the Twin Cities, and um, volunteered for an organization called Youth for Christ. Um, thought it would be a pretty good thing to do, keep my faith moving and serving and volunteering. And so I started volunteering for Youth for Christ when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, I was a journalism major. I was dead set on being the next anchor of the Today Show in New York City. Um, I had zero interest at that point in being in ministry full-time. Plus, I was kind of scared of teenagers and um, actually really liked kids because they, they seem to just want to be around you more. Um, and teenagers in the room, trust me, I love you guys now. So, um, But when I was in college, I just thought, well, what do you talk to a teenager about for a long period of time. Like, I just didn't know how I would relate and how I would do with teenagers. And so I spent the first semester of volunteering in Youth for Christ completely. My, uh, our director of the program was one of my good friends, and I was her shadow. It was like I was her puppy dog. When she said something to a kid, I said something to a kid. And if she went to talk to a group of girls, I would go talk to a group of girls. And I just learned what it looked like to be in ministry. So I went in to school as a journalism major, and I came out as a psychology major with a full-time job in Youth for Christ. And I've been there the last nine years, eight years, um, until a couple years ago I felt that the Lord was um, calling me to something different. I love Youth for Christ and I love what they do, um, but it was time for me at that point to take a step back from them. And I found my way back up here to uh, CPC, which is where I grew up. They had a huge impact on my, forming my faith and my faith foundation. Um, and I get the privilege of working with our eighth graders who are going through confirmation class. And I've heard your confirmants are in class right now, your seventh and eighth graders. Um, and so I work with our eighth graders on Wednesday night, and I get a, um, the privilege of leading them through scripture and teaching them and bringing in guest speakers for them to hear. And I have 30 seniors who serve as my student leadership team. So I brought a couple pictures of them because I want you to know just a little bit more about me. So this is a group of my girls, three of my girls this year, and then I have a picture of um, a lot of my girls from last year who are now freshmen in college. Um, and so that's my life in ministry, and I love it, and I love what I get to do. Um, my family is my mom and my sister, and then my dad, and I love my family. We are in four different cities across the United States, so it makes any form of an emergency difficult, um, and it makes our phone bills really high, which is great. So um, 
My family grew up, we, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, and we moved up here uh, to the Twin Cities when I was five. And I loved growing up here. I loved that we got to ride our bikes in our neighborhood and our dad coached us in softball and my sister in soccer. My parents were at my dance recitals. You would have looked at us in our big white house in the suburbs, our golden retriever, our brand new minivan, and thought we were a very good-looking, perfect family. And you would have been right to think that on the outside. But if you would have been able to get a little closer, you would have seen otherwise. I listened to Brad's sermon from last week, so I knew what you all were going through and talking about um, during your sermon series. And, and I loved that he used a quote from Andy Stanley that said, the church at is at its best, is at its best when it's messy. The church is at its best when it's messy. I think far too often we live in a society, we go to school, and sometimes our churches encourage and foster an environment that says leave the mess at home. Leave it behind closed doors. There's no need to be that authentic or that transparent with whatever you're going through here. And I totally and completely took on that persona when I was out and about at school or in our community or at church. I left my true and authentic self at home because it was messy and it was broken. And if I could have been authentic with anyone at my church or anyone at my school or any of our friends, I would have wanted to say to you, my family looks really good, but my dad, he just lost his company. And I lost all three of my living grandparents in two years. And if I would have been able to sit down with you and truly embrace what Jesus talks about when he talks about being authentic, I would have said to you, my sister's really hurting right now because her best friend died really suddenly and she's only a ninth grader. Or I would have said to you, I think my parents are headed for divorce and I don't know what that looks like and I don't know how to cope with that. I wouldn't have truly, I didn't truly let anybody in. The brokenness stayed inside. It stayed in our house. It didn't come out. And I struggled with that for a really long time. Until, like Jesus usually does, gets his way in our lives, he showed me how to live differently. And I believe that he wants to challenge, challenge us individually and corporately to live differently. And that's why the Beatitudes are so amazing. What you've been studying the last two weeks and going to continue in the future, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. They're blessed. That's authenticity and transparency and being okay with your circumstances and your surroundings, knowing that God calls you blessed. And so I wanted to look at a couple different stories this morning in Scripture. 
both in the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Mark 10, we're going to camp there this morning. But before I get into the story, let's pray. God, I pray that your word would come alive to us. I pray that you would speak to us this morning and that we would have ears to listen and eyes to see you. God, to you be the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read about Bartimaeus. He was a blind man um, that had an encounter with Jesus. We're going to start in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So let's get into the story a little bit more here. Jesus is leaving Jericho to go up to Jerusalem. He's going up to Jerusalem for what will be the last time. He's going up to celebrate the final Passover with his disciples. And on his way out, there's a beggar who's blind sitting by the side of the road. This wouldn't have been uncommon because many travelers would have passed through these gates. So for Bartimaeus to sit there was quite smart because it would be more likely that a coin or a piece of bread or something could fall his way. And I love that Mark tells us that this blind man who was sitting by the side of the road had a name. His name was Bartimaeus. And not only is his name Bartimaeus, but he's the son of Timaeus. That gives him a name, a face, and a story. A story that has something to tell us. It goes on to say that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I would guess that as so many crowds had passed by Barnabas, he would have heard people talking. He would have heard people saying, did you hear about that man? There's this new man out there. He's changing religion. He's healing people. He's so different than what we know to be true. Bartimaeus would have heard the chatter. And so when he got the opportunity to encounter him, he jumped at the chance, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what's so interesting about the next few verses is that it doesn't go straight to Jesus saying, Bartimaeus, come to me. It tells you what the crowd said. Because the crowd rebuked him. They told him to be quiet. Now, I want to put myself in that, and I wonder, would I have been quiet? If the crowd had told me, no, no, Jesus is too busy, we're traveling, we're on our way, he is not going to be bothered by you, would I have been quiet, or would I have yelled again for Jesus? And if I were truly honest, I would say I'd probably be quiet because I, the crowd would tell me to do something. Culture would tell me to do something. Society would tell me to do something. And I'd do it because I wouldn't have the courage to push through to be authentic or transparent before Jesus. But Bartimaeus did not do that. He yelled again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He did not let 
the crowd dictate how he came to Jesus because he was desperate. And what I love about desperation is it doesn't tie you to something. It doesn't make you be quiet. You want to push through that. And you are desperate enough and moved enough to figure out how it can be fixed. And Jesus said, call him. He stopped. He didn't think it was an interruption. He didn't think Bartimaeus was a waste of his time. He said, call him. And Bartimaeus jumped to his feet. He jumped to his feet. I mean, if you were encountering this man that you had heard could heal, was moving and changing things, he had changed two loaves of bread and two fish and five loaves of bread and two fish into feeding 5,000 people, I mean, you would jump at the chance. And I can just imagine what his last steps must have been like as he walked to Jesus, feeling his way through the crowd, just following the voice, following the voice of the one that he knew could help him. And Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want me to do for you? Which is a very strange question in my head because Jesus is all-knowing. He's fully God and fully human. So he knows who this man is and what he wants. And instead of just touching him and healing him and sending him on his way and Jesus getting back to his traveling, he looked at Bartimaeus and he said, what do you want me to do for you? And what strikes me even more is this isn't the first time in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus asks this question. A few verses earlier, starting in verse 35, he's having a conversation with two of his disciples, James and John. And they come to him and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. The exact same question in a very different context with what I would interpret a very different tone. Jesus had just finished telling his disciples that he was going to be betrayed and condemned that he was going to be flogged and mocked and killed. And that's why they were walking and traveling to Jerusalem. He had just got done telling them this. And instead of James and John embracing this truth and being with their teacher, they decided, well, let's capitalize on this because he's going to go away. And we're not going to have the power and the honor and the glory that so many kings that he has. So we need to get what we want to get. Let's get what we need. I want to sit at your right and he wants to sit at your left. That's not desperation. It's not the humility that Bartimaeus came to Jesus with. It's pride. And it's selfish ambition. And that's how James and John approached the situation with Jesus. That's how they came to him. But back to Bartimaeus, when he was asked, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
Bartimaeus's request was tangible and raw. He was hoping that Jesus would be able to meet the deepest desire of his soul for a physical need, not a spiritual need, but a physical need. I want to see. One of my favorite books is called Moments with the Savior by Ken Geyer. And Ken Geyer takes pieces of scripture in this book and he puts it to a meditation so that you feel like you're in the story. And he describes Bartimaeus's response like this. I want out of the dungeon. I want out of the darkness. I want out of the shackles. I want to see. I want to get off the roadside. I want to look into the shops. I want to see. I want to use my hands for something besides feeling my way around in the darkness. I want to make things. I want to see. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus invited Bartimaeus to name it. And he named what his deepest need was. He named it. To name what we want, he asked James and John what they wanted. And they wanted prestige and power and glory. Bartimaeus wanted his deepest need met. And so it makes me wonder when I look at those two stories, how do we approach Jesus? Do we see Jesus and approach Jesus the way that Bartimaeus did? Or do we see Jesus and approach Jesus the way James and John did? And back to honesty and transparency, if I were to answer this question, I would say that a lot of times I probably choose the way James and John do because I don't want to recognize my desperation. I don't want to recognize my brokenness. I don't want to acknowledge it. It's painful. It's hard. It's struggle. And so I'd much rather go to Jesus to get what I want, to get more prestige, with pride. But we will never find Jesus for all that he is when we come to him in that way. Bartimaeus teaches us what it looks like to pursue Jesus in the midst of brokenness. He doesn't know for sure that Jesus is going to heal him, but he's willing to try, and he's willing to go, and he's desperate, and he's broken. And Jesus calls him to name it, not just in front of him, but in front of a large crowd as well. Again, something so countercultural to the way our society teaches us to live. We are a society driven by how things appear on the outside, so we're really good at hiding this. But Jesus asked Bartimaeus to name it and to name it in front of a lot of people. Bartimaeus proclaimed his desire to see, his desire to come out of the darkness, and he did so in front of a large crowd. He was authentic and transparent in front of other people. Transformation does not happen in isolation. So what does that look like for you? What does that look like for us? 
How do we approach Jesus? Do we run somewhere else to find healing? Do we cover it up and pretend like everything's okay? Like nothing has happened? In both instances, Jesus had very different responses. I like to think that with James and John, he was very nice, but he rebuked them. He said, you don't know what you're asking. And then he went on to tell them, if you're going to follow me, pride cannot be what drives you. I did not come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to be first. I came to be last. He teaches them something different. He invites them to think in a very different way. But to Bartimaeus, he looked at him and he said, go. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, Bartimaeus received his sight and followed Jesus. Bartimaeus was given healing and blessing. That was Jesus' response to his approach. Do you know what your brokenness is? For a lot of us, that's a really easy answer. Yes, we do. We've been along a path of pain and struggle for a long time. And do we acknowledge it? For some, that might be no. For others, it might be yes. So know that Jesus enters into that with you. And though it means sometimes that it's a long and a hard road, and pain doesn't always end right away, know that your Savior is with you, no matter what. Bartimaeus understood what it meant to receive the kingdom of God. He allowed the Savior to change his perspective and to change his world. He was blessed. And I want to be like Bartimaeus. And I genuinely want that for you too. Because when we're like that, the Lord can do amazing things, even in the midst of hard circumstances. Bartimaeus cried out to his Savior over the noise, through the heartache, despite the ridicule that he received. He reminded him to run through the darkness, to run to Jesus, and that even in the midst of darkness and brokenness, even in the midst of inauthenticity, he's there. And he's willing to usher us in to the light. And I pray that we as believers would embrace that. And that we would live that out, not only in here, but when we go out there as well. Let's pray. God, thanks that you call us to live authentically. Thanks that you call us to live in transparency, even in the midst of brokenness. I pray that you would help us to see you more. I pray that you would help us to embrace your truth and that you would be shining light in us and through us. In your name we pray, amen.